The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. That was almost as good as Deborah singing this morning to me. Uh, thank you for that, and um, I appreciate you. In fact, I want to begin by saying this morning, uh, my uh, travel responsibilities for <clears throat> the university will keep me from chapel on Friday. I'd like to be here for that final chapel, uh, but there's an inauguration of a president at a sister school, and so I'll be gone for a couple days at the end of the week. Uh, but I won't have an opportunity, so I won't have an opportunity to... Uh, to end the semester with you in chapel, but I do want to take an opportunity this morning to thank you um, as students for this year. Um, lots of uh, opportunities and need to thank members of the staff and faculty for a good year, but I, I really wanted to thank you as students this morning uh, for a good year. A great day on Friday, but Friday was really just indicative of how you have treated our guests and visitors throughout the year. On Friday, we had a number of people here and uh, they shared with me what all the guests and visitors have shared all year, which is how warmly and respectfully they are received and treated by the student body uh, here at Cairn University. So I want to thank you for your good efforts this year. I know for some of you this has been a challenging year. Uh, I, there have been a, a lot going on, but I want to thank you for uh, the energy and the spirit and enthusiasm that you have maintained throughout the course of the year. I'm very thankful to the Lord for the spiritual things that have gone on in your midst over the last several months as well, uh, but I'm thankful for you and want to thank you publicly for uh, what has been a, a good year, and I uh, look forward already uh, to what the Lord will do in and through you next year. This morning, I want to uh, conclude then my series for this year, uh, some things we may have forgotten, reacquainting ourselves with key biblical truths. And this morning, <clears throat> I want to talk about the practical power of the Word of God. In case you haven't noticed, the Bible kind of matters here. Um, it's, uh, it's a core part of your curriculum. We talk about being biblically minded. We talk about being biblically integrated. This is an institution that takes the Scripture seriously. And uh, I'm sure that you've noticed it, but I want to talk this morning uh, along the lines that I've been talking to you all year that we can very easily without paying much attention, find ourselves forgetting some key truths that are part of the Christian faith that we really can't afford to forget because it affects our faith and ultimately our lives in profound ways. And so today I do want to talk about the Scripture. I want to talk about the practical power of the Word of God. We do expect you to study the Word, to read the Word, uh, to desire the Word. We uh, we require you to study it, not just in your Bible classes, but we work to help you think biblically across all academic disciplines and across all professional tracks. We want you to be thoroughly biblically minded, not just to know uh, about the Bible or to know the Bible, but to be able to think biblically. Of course, there's no opportunity to really be biblically minded apart from knowing about the Bible and knowing the Bible, so it all sort of folds together. As Christians, it's no surprise that we hold to a high view of Scripture. We have doctrines of our, our belief in the Bible. You know, I, I learned very early when I was a student here at this institution, we believe in God who has revealed Himself to us in the Scripture. 
And that sort of is a foundational assumption for all of the rest of life and the world. We believe there is a God and that that God has revealed Himself in Holy Scripture. We take the Scripture seriously. That's something that Christians are supposed to do, to take the Scripture seriously. And so we have all kinds of doctrines and theologies around the Scripture. This morning, though, I want to think about the implications and the practical power of the Word of God because they come out of those doctrines and those theological beliefs concerning God's Holy Word. You know, we hold to the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. Therefore, we also acknowledge the authority of the Bible. And therefore, we should also have confidence in the efficacy and sufficiency of the Word. And in those two things, the efficacy and sufficiency of the Word, we see practical power in the Word of God. That it should affect the way we think and live, not just in terms of ideas and theology, but in our judgments and attitudes every day in life. It should so permeate our judgments and our perspective and our behaviors. That's what it means to be people of the book, to be be people who take the Scripture seriously. It's not just that we study it. You know, for years when I was on the faculty, students would often caution one another and, and caution the institution not to allow the Bible to become a mere textbook. And I always marvel at that because I think that's on you as the reader if you allow it to become a mere textbook. You have to study it in depth. You want to take it seriously. But if you start looking at it simply as a figure, ground, perception, reality, that the the words and the figures come off of the white ground and you simply process the words as you do any other vocabulary, that's on you as the reader. This is the authoritative, inspired, inerrant Word of God, and it's central to our curriculum. And if it's become dead to you, I suggest you spend some time on your knees. Because it is the very Word of God. It is the revelation of Himself to us. And while we hold to those theological beliefs, we have to also cling to the power, the practical power of Scripture, its efficacy and its sufficiency. As I was wrestling through this, I was thinking, is this something new that we have to remind ourselves as Christians about the power of God's Word? I don't think that it is. If it's true that this is a new thing only for us in the 21st century in our current cultural context that we have to remind one another about the power of Scripture, its efficacy and its sufficiency, we wouldn't have the kind of verses to draw from that I want to call your attention to this morning. The Apostle Paul, in his instructions to his his student Timothy, who is going to take a significant role of leadership in the church, he reminds him that the Scripture is God-breathed. He tells him to be ready in season and out of season to preach the Word. There's this reminder throughout the New Testament of the power of Scripture and the role that it plays in our lives as believers. If it was necessary for the first century church, that close to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then it's certainly true for us today. It's not new to us. This is part of our constant need to be reminded of the things that matter the most and stand the test of time. We've been doing this all year with everything from creation to the resurrection, and I want to conclude the year focusing on God's Word. But I also think that our moment in time is also significant with regard to this truth and the need to be reminded. Because in a culture so skeptical about, if not outright hostile to, authority and truth and any assertions in matters of faith, it's not outside the realm of possibilities that our practical confidence in Scripture might be weakened. In other words, because we live in a world that says these things 
believing in the authority of Scripture, well, if we question the very nature of all authority, then what authority could Scripture possibly have? It's off-putting. It's repressive. It's demanding. If we live in a world that sort of is skeptical about those things, that, that making any assertions about truth or about matters of faith, Look, if we find ourselves in a situation where we can make no assertions of faith in this world, and you're tempted to buy into that idea that that's an offensive thing to make assertions of faith, you're rendered powerless to share the gospel because it says only in Jesus Christ can salvation be found. There is no other name by which you can be saved. And on that day, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's a pretty strong assertion, brothers and sisters. And so when the world around us says, you don't get to make those kinds of assertions, we as Christians have to say, we must obey God rather than man. Not just the laws of man, but the norms and mores of our culture. We have to agree that this we cannot compromise on. And this would be true regarding Scripture. We don't really get the luxury of saying, well, the world doesn't like assertions of truth and authority. And, 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 and attaching those to Scripture makes it difficult for me to navigate this world. That's true. And the problem is that, that if we allow the cultural forces to influence us, our own confidence... And I'm qualifying this. Practical confidence in the Word of God will be weakened. Because the practical power of the Word of God is tied inextricably to our convictions concerning it. If we begin to be, grow weak in our belief that it is true and reliable, that it is inspired and inerrant, then why in the world would we think it has anything to say to us about how we should think and live? How it should influence the choices that are in front of us? We have to see that all of this holds together. And so in the broader culture, I have a concern that, that the world in which we live is, is one that, that will have a tendency to weaken our confidence in Scripture. But also in our own Christian culture, we may have grown so familiar with our doctrinal positions regarding Scripture that the words and impact and implications of those positions have lost their weight or weightiness. We're so familiar with the terms that we talk about, that you learn about in your classes when we're talking about the inspiration or the inerrancy of Scripture or the consistency of Scripture, that it loses its impact, that it should actually affect the way we read it and the way we think about it. If we're serious about the doctrine of inspiration, that the Bible, the, the Word of God is breathed out by Him, that the writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit then that will affect the way we read it and the weight we give to it when we read it, when we hear it read, when we hear it preached. I think this is critically important because as Christians we get so familiar with the things of our, our own Christian culture, our own churches, our own faith that I've shared this in, in previous chapels, that line that we've, grown, we've fallen asleep under the preaching of the gospel. We hear it so often that it's lost its effect. Well, even at a place like this where the Bible is so central to what we do, it's easy for us to, to lose our grip, to lose our confidence, to have our convictions weakened. We can go along with it. We use all the right words. We can say what needs to be said. We can even write what needs to be written. We can give assent to things. We can almost even convince ourselves that because we're giving assent and we're saying these things and we're writing these things, that we actually believe them. But it's not enough to say we honor the Bible, to say we believe it, or to even say that we love it. The question is this, what evidence is there in your life to support those claims? 
If we say we love it, what evidence is there that you love it? If you say you believe it, what evidence is there that you believe it? If you say you honor it, what evidence is there that you honor it? That's the real question. Not what you give assent to, but how do we see it played out in your life? This is true of every element of our Christian life. It's what the, the, the early church was so concerned about. Don't be hearers only, but doers of the word. If you, if you are the recipient of grace, should you go on sinning? Never let it be that, right? The idea is that we should see your faith and your beliefs and your convictions played out in real ways, evidentiary ways. We should know it. I would suggest that even one of those evidences is what I was sharing earlier when people come here to visit. The way in which you treat others, the respect that you show, the deference that you show, the warmth that you show, all of those are an outworking of our core convictions and our faith. We're not trying to prove to the world that we're as polite as the next college or university. We're Christians. It's what we do. We believe that what the Scripture says is true and it should affect the way we view others and view this world and view our own lives. So it's not enough to give assent. We actually have to have evidence of it in our lives. In that way, we see the real practical power of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, a very familiar verse about the Scripture. It's one that I remember studying in depth as a student here in the first theology class that we took where we hammered out our bibliology and what we believe to be true about the Bible. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This particular passage of Scripture is the Bible testifying to its own sufficiency and own power and practical implications. It's the Apostle Paul writing to his young mentee, Timothy, giving him instructions on how to lead spiritually. And he reminds him about the importance of Scripture. He wants him, he charges him later in this letter, to preach the Word in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting. But prior to that, he reminds him that that preaching is to come from Scripture. For all Scripture is breathed out by God. That gives it a weight and weightiness that we should not overlook when we're reading the Bible. This isn't something written from one of you to another one of you, or from one of us in the past to us in the future. This is given to us by the eternal God, the creator and sustainer of all things. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It's beneficial. But look at what it says. It's not beneficial for making you feel better about yourself or helping you feel more important. Paul tells Timothy it's profitable for teaching for reproving, for correction, for training in righteousness that we may be fully equipped for every good work. The Bible is the revelation of God Himself. It does declare for us His love and His mercy, His steadfast loving kindness, which endures to every generation. It does teach us about the special place that humanity has in God's creation, made in His image and likeness that we're known to Him before we were formed in our mother's wombs. All of that is true. But the Scripture here, Paul says, is profitable to us for some things that we may not want it to do. For its teaching 
and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. You want to do good works? What Paul is saying, those good works are meaningless and empty and vain if they're not rooted in something substantive. You want to be taught and reproved and corrected and trained in righteousness according to Scripture. You know, when we were writing the university mission statement and we were writing the institutional objectives some time ago, the important thing for us is we want you to be instructed according to the teaching and example of Jesus Christ as found in Holy Scripture. We don't get to make it up. We come back to something sound and substantive and solid and weighty. This training in righteousness is not something that comes from human contravations or ideas. Paul says you should know the Word and consider the Word capable to teach and reprove and correct and train in righteousness. Don't make it up on your own. It's all right here. I shared this example some years ago when I was on the faculty. I was invited by students to come and talk to them in one of the alternative chapels that we ran. We had five-day-a-week chapels. I think it was a Tuesday or Thursday and went in and they wanted me to speak on biblical dating. It was a little bit of a downer. Because if you want to talk about biblical dating, you have to prepare yourself for arranged marriages and the exchange of property and livestock. <laughs> the Scripture doesn't have much to say about dating as you and I conceive, as you conceive of it. <laughs> right? I've been off the market for a long time. right? But it does have something to say about being chaste and pure, about being caring, about putting others first. The Bible has a lot to say about those things for your training in righteousness so you will be able to exercise your responsibilities in a relationship, romantic or otherwise, in a way that's consistent with the teaching of Scripture. That's what the Bible does for us. It gives us all of that. It gives us all of that. And because it is breathed out by God, it carries some force. The Bible is authoritative. It is so because it is God-breathed. Whatever our human attitudes regarding human authority, we should tread lightly on taking God and His Word too lightly. This idea of it being God-breathed is a nice, warm and fuzzy feeling. I remember in that class so many years ago, when we were learning about this and what, what the word inspired means here and this idea of, of God breathed, it was comforting and encouraging. <clears throat> it's also a little awe-inspiring and a little frightening because it's not to be taken lightly. It's the very breath of God. Jesus, the Word made flesh, carries the weight of eternity as the Son of God. The Spirit, the pneumata, which blew into that room, blew in with a force and authority. Not just to make us feel good, but also to drive us to our knees. The Word of God is inspired. It's breathed out by God. That's not just to comfort us. It's also to move us to a position of respect and reverence. So whatever our attitudes regarding these kinds of things in the human world, we should tread very lightly on taking God and His Word too lightly. And how easy it is to do it. How easy it is to take the Scripture too lightly. Written so long ago, held to by fewer and fewer people as the years go by. Written in language that's difficult to understand. 
dealing with everything from the very physical and practical details that we see in the Old Testament to the metaphysical realities. How easy it is to consider it too overwhelming to take it too seriously and too imposing. I'm reminded of something someone shared a long time ago. A preacher once said that uh, he stole it from somebody else, I'm sure. One of the beautiful things about the Word of God is that a babe can wade into it without the fear of drowning, and a theologian can swim its depths without ever getting close to the bottom. What a great picture of the Word of God. It should move us to respect and appreciation for God and His Word in a powerful way. And then there's this idea expressed by the writer of Hebrews, which again is a very powerful set of verses in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. We read this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Bible is powerful because it is authoritative. It can pierce, divide, and discern with force and precision. This may sound a bit strong, but it is that strength from which we draw confidence in it. I remember sharing this verse with a friend of mine who was curious about my view of the Bible, and I shared this verse, and they remarked that it was a rather harsh and violent image to be associated with the Scripture, that it seemed strong, that it seemed imposing, that it seemed a little less than relevant to the world in which we now live. But actually, if you sit and read this verse over and over again, it's the kind of strength and precision and power that you and I should be drawing confidence from when it comes to the Word of God. Because you and I are fallible, flawed, sinful human beings. Any attempt we have to divide between joint and marrow, to discern thoughts from intentions, is liable to look like hitting a walnut with a sledgehammer. But the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and active. It's dynamic. In it, we have confidence because of its power, and its power is derived from its authority. The Scripture is given a high place, and so that makes it powerful. It is powerful. It is precise. It is authoritative, but I want to talk about two things to conclude. There is an efficacy to Scripture that is divine. God sends it out for His purposes, and it does not return void. His Spirit uses His Word to accomplish His work in us. The Bible possesses an efficacy. It accomplishes its intended purposes. The passage that Dr. Porcella read for us in Isaiah 55 drives that home. My word shall proceed from my mouth and it shall not return void. It goes out like rain that waters the earth and brings about the fruitfulness of the earth. You and I can take confidence in Scripture because it has effect. It has impact. It produces fruit. And that efficacy is something that should strengthen our faith. 
People often ask <clears throat> if it's discouraging to deal with the world as we find it. Well, if you have confidence that God's word doesn't return void, then there is reason to hope. In Philippians 2.13, after that passage where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do, according to his good purposes. The Lord is at work in us. His spirit uses his word to accomplish his purposes. We should draw confidence and comfort from the fact that his word will accomplish his purposes. It's important for us, though, not only to recognize the Bible's power and efficacy, but also its sufficiency. If we trust Scripture, then we should trust it as sufficient. Yet too often, what we do is give it a courtesy nod and then look elsewhere for guidance and solutions to our problems and the problems of this world. We can believe in its efficacy and yet not trust its sufficiency. It's so tempting, isn't it? To put our confidence in our abilities, our therapies, our own solutions, our own understandings, our own wisdom, and those of the world around us. We forget the truths related to the Bible that Scripture is sufficient. And it has impact. I uh, was hesitant to share this, but I've had uh, some experiences with uh, family members and friends and others in Bible studies in the final moments of their lives. Some who were peacefully passing from disease and others who were in agonistic, painful transitions to eternity. And it has been a blessing for me to sit with people who are on the verge of crossing over into eternity and to read Scripture and to watch their countenance change just by the simple reading of the Bible. To watch their vital signs change to watch their breathing rate change. It's not enough simply to say to people, it's going to be okay. They're crossing over alone through the unknown into eternity. But a passage of Scripture that says all things work together for good for them that love God. Reading Scripture that says absent from the body is present with the Lord. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Those passages of Scripture have an effect because the sufficiency of the Word of God to comfort us in our darkest moments is real. And so I would encourage you, when you find yourself in need, to trust in the sufficiency of Scripture. Go to it. Read it. Don't just give the Bible a courtesy nod. Treat it with the respect and honor that it is due. You know, when you read or study or hear the reading and preaching of the Word, I might suggest that you remind yourself of the power, the practical power the Bible has. Remind yourself of its authority, its efficacy, and its sufficiency. Stop and remind yourself of those truths concerning Scripture. Doing so will increase its impact in your life. You'll be mindful of the way it speaks to the issues, not just of this world, but of your own personal situations and circumstances. Cling to it. Hold firm in it. Love it. Pursue it. Because in it, as it teaches us, is life. I'd like you to quiet yourselves for just a moment and to think on these words of the authority the efficacy and sufficiency of Scripture.
It is God-breathed. It accomplishes the purposes which He intends. And it is sufficient for life and godliness. I'd like you to listen now with those things in mind as I read a familiar passage of Scripture to sense the impact that those reminders have. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father God, give us the grace required to love your word, to believe it, to desire it, to read it and to study it with confidence. Give us the grace that is required to trust its practical power, to submit ourselves to its authority, to trust its efficacy and its efficiency. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would be at work in our midst as a community and in our lives as individuals, that your Spirit would indeed use your Word to accomplish your work in us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.